again, everybody. Welcome. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 142. Uh, I just want to thank, a lot of people have been uh, commenting, sent some personal comments on the the last couple of podcasts, and I just, I appreciate that. I'm glad that some people are finding them helpful, mostly. (laughs) That's that's always nice, because there's just so much dog information and stuff out there, and and if anybody appreciates this, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad. I mean, I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Today's episode is going to be. I'm going to kind of take the last two where we talked about towards the end of training these guys in the upland field, and I'm going to talk about go back to G and the G update, and then sort of integrating what the plan is going forward. I know there's a lot of people listening to this right now that do have little ones, whether they're little bitty eight, nine, ten week old. Geez, a little bit over four months. I I, I never remember because I just don't think about that. But uh, she's a little bit over four months. And on the uh, I showed in the on the Facebook page, I put her out on her first set of. Now we'd had some quail a, a month or so ago where she just didn't have a clue what was going on and then she found the dead pile and then she had the biggest snack in the world and so that I'm not gonna you know that was her first running into dead bird bodies and seeing little birds fly out of the grass she didn't have a clue what was happening so I let a little bit of time and got a little bit more uh, structured thinking going before we came back on the next bird thing and and so and I finally got my chucker shipment in because it's just been too cold and too snowy for anyone to even transport the things. So it all, everything kind of worked together well. And I got my birds in. It was early morning. And before I got any of the other stuff gone, it was kind of chilly. I had my big winter coat on. I thought, okay, before she has all kinds of ideas in her head about what's going on today, the first thing, you know, after she has her breakfast and we air and stuff, the first thing I want her to do before any other stuff is just to go out and encounter these birds. And my thinking on that is I don't want stuff in her head. I don't want her, you know, thinking we're retrieving. I don't want anything in her head at all. You know, I just want her out there just clean and clear. I, I found that's always optimal. So I went out and put two pen-raised uh, bird pen chucker, right? I put them out in the, in the sagebrush and stuff around not too far from the kennel. And I, st- I put them in there where I knew they'd probably stay, kind of inside of a sagebrush thing. They weren't just stuck. But there we go. So for those of you that have wild birds <laughs> that don't ever stay anywhere, um, that's hard in the early days on bird introduction because they really have no tolerance for anything. So um, sometimes it's nice when you can at least make sure the bird's going to kind of be there when you're brand new dog encounters it but in any case so I put two of them not too far apart uh, intentionally not too far apart and so my thinking and my design on this is we're not going to go on too long of a walk before we get to where the birds are because I don't want her to get really engaged in the truffle hunt thing now and I I just want her to just be just kind of going oh what a nice morning and then we encounter these things so it was a couple minutes till our first bird encounter and she just thinks we're out doing a morning walk and it's great she's just having fun and she comes downwind of her first chucker which was in some brush and she was probably six feet away from it and she just stopped and this is all filmed she's just stopped 
And so I just stopped. Now, just for anyone that's never done these dogs before, I don't say anything. I don't do anything. This is a learning thing. This is a brand new thing. This is the first time in this little dog's head that she has smelled the convincing scent of something that's terribly compelling. She isn't thinking. She isn't doing anything but what her DNA tells her to do. So I'm not going to get in the middle of that. And I just, and I filmed the whole thing. And then one time, one back foot kind of got pulled up. So it was like a reverse tripod that came up. And then it went back down. So you can see all these autonomic things happening in the dog. Fascinating to watch. And then she caught herself mentally and moved in just a little bit closer and then got a stronger convincing scent of it and froze again. And then now it took less time for her to catch herself, you know, something like, what, what the heck am I doing? And then she moved in closer and the thing came up and then she started chasing it. All good. All good. So that was, I was extraordinarily pleased with that because I got to see what's in that dog without any, any uh, intervention. And she doesn't know yet about maybe she could smell my gloves on there. She doesn't know any of that. It just happened. It was just completely raw and completely organic and really nice. And so after that, after I got her back from the chase, which took a little bit, no yelling, no screaming. She didn't do anything wrong. Birds are awesome. And I, I'll tell you, it was really hard. This I didn't film. So as soon as I'd get her kind of coming back to me and I'd start heading in the direction where we'd encounter the other bird, then she, she just takes off again back for it. I had to keep throwing my glove to get her to come over to me like we were doing a retreat. So <laughs> it was, I'm, I thought people should see this. I mean, I had to work a long time, but I can't, she's not in trouble. I mean, yes, birds are awesome. I just need her somewhere else. So finally, with the wave in the glove and all that, I kind of got her off of it a little bit, although it was still ticking there in her mind. And so we continue a little further down the road and encounter the scent of the other one. And she still wasn't looking for anything in particular. She got the scent of that, and this one had less shrubbery around it and less stuff, and she was closer to it. Well, she was actually just that close when she actually became, got downwind of it. And then she pointed that one. I don't know how long. She pointed that for a little while. And then busted in and it flew up. And then she took off chasing it. And I stopped filming there because I had a feeling it was going to be a little bit before I could get her back. So that was G's first bird encounter. I was extremely happy because her first response when she doesn't know anything is to just freeze and and kind of just stay there a long time. Um, that's all I could ask for. So very happy with that. I don't say anything. I don't do anything. I have to let that thing happen. And there's a lot more of that that's that's got to happen before I even consider making a sound or doing anything. So obviously where I work needs to be somewhere where when the bird flies and she chases after it, she's going to be okay. Um, because I don't want to start introducing trouble and pressure or anything. This is just for her to figure out what she is and what she's doing. So some young dogs, when they point that well at the beginning, always point that well. And some young dogs, when they also have that aggressive side to them, will start pointing less when they realize they can go in there and get them. And then there's things that then you change and you make, you plant the birds a lot more lightly so that they even just come anywhere close and they're gone. So as 
the dog evolves in their understanding of upland birds, then your uh, bird placement and bird usage has to evolve along with it. You actually have to think about it. It's not like every time you go out, you just put them somewhere and let the bird get your bird encounters and count it good. Because they're always learning stuff. You just need to make sure it's along the lines of something that you want. But if you teach them, they're always stuck. They're always here. They're, I'm all, they're always on a bush. <laughs> they're all, you can always tell people they're always plant birds in a bush because when they go and you work with them in the field, the dog just checks every bush. They're not actually looking for bird scent. They're looking for places birds are put. So there's a lot of thought that goes into this evolution. So I can't, I'm not going to put all of G's birds in sagebrush <laughs> because then she'll just go where the sagebrush is and check all the thick bushy ones. So, because well, then she's a real smart little girl. So there's a lot of, a lot of thought that goes into this. So this was all really good. Um, I would call it an excellent first time out. I was, I could not be happier. Now, before I go into further down the line bird type stuff, I want to talk about dogs in this, you know, the 10 weeks to six months age category and doing, well, really any work with them. Upland work, regardless of whether they point or they're flushers or whatever, whenever, or and they're retrieving work. Some things that I think are, are, are important that some people are very aware of and tuned into and others are not. And some people are going to just disagree with me and go, no, I'm not going to put that much emphasis on these other things. But when I train young dogs, and I train always everybody else's young dogs, so I don't have a personal thing with them. The way, the things that I need in the upland field, pointer or flusher, it doesn't matter. The things I need in an upland field is a dog, right? Let's think at the end result. I want a dog that hunts with me, not in spite of me. I want a dog that I don't have to do the work for, that they understand that they hunt within a certain range, that they don't chase birds, that they're responsible for finding them, and then when they're shot, they're responsible for bringing them right back to me in a cooperative way where I'm not constantly having to remind them what their job is, how to do it, what all of that. That's my end result. So for that, I need a dog that has a mentality of teamwork, and an awareness of me. And yes, dogs can hunt the upland field completely with great confidence independently and be always aware of where you are and that you still are the colonel. That That is a very easy thing to do. I've never seen a dog you couldn't do it with. So when you have little dogs like G and young dogs and you want that, then the mentality that you want in that upland dog, which is confidence, which is cooperation, which is teamwork, which is awareness, which is taking responsibility, which means that they do their own thinking on things. I didn't say they work regardless of you, and I, but they do their thinking. They know when, where, what the range is. They know a bird flew by, I don't go get it. They, they know, they think, and they're aware of that stuff. So when you have young dogs, one of the places that, for me, Remember, I'm the laziest person in the world. I shortcut everywhere I can. So one of the things I do with young dogs in daily life and daily work is are things that are going to make that end result far easier to get. And that is when I have a little dog like G. Let's just, I'll just use her for an example. 
So she's around me all the time. She's in the kennel with me. She's out in the yard. She's in the vehicle. She goes in the house. She's all over. She's with me. And then, of course, sometimes she's put away. But I try to develop the mentality in this little dog that I need in all of the other things that she's going to be do plus, be doing. Plus, I also want to have, what do they call it, a good citizen. That's what I want a good citizen. And I don't know if people with these little hunting dogs think a lot about what a good citizen is. But I'll just give you my ideas about it, especially on young dogs. And I'm going to just, just, I'm going to use daily life. When I have, and this is, G is learning this stuff right now and has been for some time. When we're going somewhere, we're going to go out the door. She does not run to the door in front of me, stand right there at the crack where it's going to open and wait, hurry, 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 open, open, open. She doesn't do that. So she doesn't do it going out, coming in, going into the yard, going into a kennel, loading under the, onto the trailer or the truck, whatever it is. She doesn't go, me, 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 go, 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 go. Not even as a four-month-old dog. So when we go do that, she learns, actually with my dogs, because I have more than one, right? I have a number of them. When we go to any door or gate, they sit down. I open the gate and say, all right, now you can go. That is not because I'm a control freak and I have to be dominant over everything. That is because I want to be going through any opening. I've said this in so many of these. Anything pleasantly it's just as if you and I were walking through it we wouldn't bump each other out of the way to get through the door and the dogs don't need to do that either and when you start them that way they're that way their whole life's so nice in other words what's happening in that is that they are aware of me they are aware of where I am they are aware of my physicality they are also aware of the door or the gate or the opening and they are aware that I'm the colonel and that they don't knock me out of the way, run in front of me, and usually stuff goes flying as they're running there. That just doesn't happen. And so with G, I have her on a little short tab on her on her little leash thing now, and if or the leash itself. And so we go to the opening. She sits down. I open it. I say okay. Then we go through. We're not doing tough obedience or anything else, but we're teaching a level of respect that's going to be highly useful next year out in the upland field when I'm trying to get a four time on her or when her owner's hunting in, hunting her in Nebraska and showing off this dog everybody's heard about. That's what I'm working for right now. And there are so many ways that we can take these young dogs and teach them to take responsibility, to teach them to think. And most of all, folks, to teach them to be aware of us, our presence, our importance, our significance, and our physicality. So dogs running through stuff, dogs that are out, and I'll take it this far, when I, I have a big herring yard, right? And dogs get to be out there in the morning and after dinner and various times, and they're all out there together. They can't run into me. And that's, again, not because I'm some jerk. It's because, one, I'm out there by myself. Have a big dog hit me and, you know, break my leg, and there I am going, oh, now what? So it, besides, I don't want dogs running into me. I don't run into anybody. And if you were over there in the airing yard with me, you wouldn't smack into me either. And I expect dogs to have the same respect for my physicality as well. Even the youngsters, even G. And so I teach them out there. I'll do it with the pooper scooper I have. It's like, hey, if you come too close to me, you're going to meet the pooper scooper. 
But what I'm doing here is actually, you know, it just seems like I'm just being a tough dog training person. I'll, but what I'm really doing, just like you do with little kids, right, is I'm teaching them, have respect for where I am. Your responsibility to know where I am and to treat me the same way that I treat you. I find no reason, compelling reason in the world to let some puppy jump on me, smack into me, buzz me as they're going by knock something out of my hands none of that and you know yeah I mean some people I don't even think they're just they think of that stuff but when you start to require them to think and take responsibility and have awareness of you this translates a lot into particularly upland work but into all the the work that's coming down the line so when I get dogs in for training and they're kind of wild and crazy and, you know, they don't know me when they come here and they're just, man, I mean, they're just like, whoo, I can just do whatever I want. I'm not at home anymore. I will never, I will, until I have that dog into that respectful state of mind, not fearful, not scared, none of that, but where they have a lot of awareness of me and respect for my physicality, then like, just like the alpha dog in a dog pack would have. Uh, they do not go out in the upland field and do any of the cool stuff until we have that part of the relationship understood. If you take, and I know a lot of, a lot of trainers just would, would not even give this any thought, but you know, it's just like, just put a dog on birds. That's what you need to do. So if you put a dog out there in the upland field or even run a marks, but particularly the upland field, you know, and they're just helter-skelter, kind of crazy, chaotic thinking. You know, they're really nice and they're really happy, right? And they just like to jump on you and kiss you and run into you and run into the other dog. And they, they have this general absolute lack of care about anybody or anything around them aside from having fun. That is exactly what they're going to go do in the upland field. Exactly. They're going to take that mentality that you have taught them in daily life and they are going to carry that with them when they're doing things where that's unsafe. That is not conducive to anything that you want in the long haul. So one of the easiest ways to get ahead on your training for upland work with dogs, I don't care what flesher pointer or whatever, is to have a dog that has awareness of you, takes responsibility for themselves, your physicality, theirs, and understands that you're the colonel. And that's a very easy thing to do in daily life. Now I'll say this, if you can make a dog sit down 30 feet away from its dinner bowl and wait to go get it, that's certainly, that's a good thing. That's not what I'm talking about because that's merely a dog waiting to get the prize and they will do whatever it is you ask them to do to get one of the best prizes in their life. Food may not, it, it, it probably might not be the top of the list for hunting dogs, but it's up there real good. And so anything you do that's highly reward based is a good thing, but it's not what I'm talking about. It's not where they just take responsibility on their own in a situation that's respectful to you and there isn't a reward out of it it is the way they do things and there's a little bit of a difference between those things so go ahead and do the wait for your dinner and all that it and i've heard people say well, yeah my dogs were good on woe because i can warm on their dinner bowl 
<laughs> they're just waiting for the prize. That's all. They'll do whatever you say. They'll, you know, they'll stand on their head if they can, if that's what it takes to get dinner. So make sure that, that that's understood. They need to do this on their own. They need to, you know, I believe that when I'm walking through the yard and <clears throat> I'm going for something, the dog shouldn't just stop in front of me. When I go on walks, when G, she learned that early. When we go on a walk and you stop in front of me, you wish you didn't because I don't walk around you. You walk around me. I'm a colonel. I'm the colonel. Similarly, I've had many dogs that I've gotten in from people where you're, you are out in the upland field and you're doing stuff and they're real happy and they're looking at something and they're running after something, smack right into you. That just shocks me. It just shocks me when they do that because it's like, that's incredible. You don't care where I am. So I know that, I mean, what people teach dogs and the lack of, it's not so much they're teaching them a lack of respect. They're not teaching them to, to take responsibility for their own actions and where they are and what they're doing and maintaining that with an awareness of you. And so it's most easily taught on young G dogs in your daily life, in taking your daily walk. You know, don't get in front of me. Certainly don't get in front of me and stop. You know, don't just be running all over and smack into me. And you find a way, it's not very hard, to when a dog does that, to teach them, holy cow, I don't want to do that again. And there's not a, a reward or a prize. It is the nature of your relationship. So you, you teach the fundamentals of that in basic obedience, and then you use those fundamentals to teach them everywhere this dynamic. And this dynamic, when you have it set up and you go out in the upland field, makes all the finished off stuff you want to do at the right time be a much easier thing to do. So I just I offer that to the puppy people um, because I know they're just happy and happy puppies are good <laughs> and they love you and that's good too. They can be happy and love you and also respect your physicality <laughs> so just like we all do with each other. So I think that that's something I'd like to impart to everybody. And the final thing, I'll, just that I've seen on this topic, I've seen a lot of lately, and it's always people that take the walk with their dog. It's like, oh, they're so much better off leash than on. So I just don't do leash work. Well, that I, I would highly suggest against that because regardless, when you do basic obedience, which needs to be a part of every one of our dog's lives, when you go to the vet and when you walk to the park or go over to Aunt Bertha's or whatever you do, that's all leash work. And so instead of just doing the easy thing, make sure that you, the leash work is where you're going to be able to, what you use to teach these dogs this sort of respect around the house and the yard and all those other things. So don't avoid leash work because your dog's already good off. Okay, a couple questions that I got based on some of the past uh, uh, podcasts. One of them was the cord thing, because I had said that I don't, when I'm out right now with G doing uh, upland birds, that I don't have a cord on. And uh, somebody asked me why I wouldn't have a cord on. You know, that way I could you know, get them back from a chase or something. Number one would be safety. When, uh, when, when you're in a terrain that's actually an upland hunting kind of terrain, even if it's just thick grass and stuff, when you're in a terrain like that, there are a lot of places where a cord can catch on something, wrap around something, um, get hooked on something. 
and the dog's at a dead run, and then suddenly, you know, they hit the end of whatever that's on, and, you know, bad stuff can happen. So there are, I've seen and, you know, heard a lot of stories and seen things where cords, again, they get hooked on something. So if I'm going to have a dog that's on a dead run on something in a real terrain, I'm not going to have a cord on them. If I can't ultimately run them down or get them back, then I'm not going to be doing it. But I don't use a cord because that's a safety situation. I also don't use a cord on G right now because that would be a correction kind of in her mind. If she's going, oh, there's a bird and she's running after it and suddenly she just flips over backwards because she got stopped because I stepped on the cord. You know, it was, does that make the bird bad? What, you know, it's just, she's too young to understand. You don't chase them. Oh yeah, you find them, you don't chase them. That's way over her head. So I'm not ready for any corrections in here. And she would be immediately, if that happened one time, she'd go cord on. I'm not going to, all right, I need, that means I need to do this or that. I can't have that kind of thinking. So that's one of the reasons that, that, uh, I don't use a cord safety and it just doesn't fit in the mentality. Okay. Another question I had was how many birds do you put down for G and Y and, and do you change that number? So when I first introduced G, I put just two out because I didn't know what was going to happen. If she's going to go in there and try and grab them and eat them and stuff, then I don't want very many out there <laughs> for that. So I put two out because I thought I'm going to see something on the first one. And if I see it on the second one, you know, that tells me something. And if I see something entirely different, then that tells me something. So I just put two out because I just wanted to see what was going to happen. Generally, when I'm just starting out, you know, I just, I'm not going to just, because birds are expensive, you know, and I'm not going to be wasting everybody's money on this stuff. So I put two out generally. Uh, just because I've got a lot of dogs and it takes a lot of time, I generally put two of them out, um, unless, but sometimes, you know, and again, that's because I have a number of dogs. Probably if I just had one dog and I was training it, I might do three or four, but your criteria for continuing with more birds is if the behavior that the dog is exhibiting is and increasing with each bird is it behavior that you want to see or is it behavior you don't want to see so if you go put four birds out and the first one you know is pretty good behavior you like what you see and the second one oh they're getting a little wild and crazy third one oh my gosh or you know i'm probably not going to go on that fourth one because whatever the dog does with you is what they're going to be learning so if it if it takes two birds and before it starts to fall apart, then I'm going to just do two birds. So I don't get to the point where they get a little too wild and a little too crazy. And that's what I do. And that's what works on these retriever guys. It's also a little less expensive. You don't want expensive birds just getting flushed up wild and crazy because your dog just went absolutely hog wild. But if your dog gets better with every bird, then by all means, you know, then it's a good thing within now we got economics. I don't think you want to put out, you know, 10 birds because I think you're going to get a fatigue in that in the beginning. Certainly you're going to get a fatigue in that because we're teaching right now. So, you know, maybe two birds, maybe four birds, but you'd want to be careful about too many. And, you know, one bird is, if that's all you have, do one bird, but it's kind of hard to tell anything in one bird because it's the consistency of behavior uh, that tells us stuff like that. So with G the way she is, 
I am, like I said before, I'm going to do uh, upland birds once a week unless her pointing gets shorter, 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 shorter. I don't know how long the first point was, 30 seconds, uh, something like that. I, I, well, I don't count. Um, but if her pointing now is going to uh, just a few seconds, just a few seconds, then I'm probably going to back off maybe a little bit. Just take a week off, see what, what a, a break does. Does one week off, and this is dog training, you guys. There isn't the recipe thing. So with G, you know, this was good. So we're going to go out next week, and we're going to do it again and see what it is. If it's nice and solid like it was, then we're going to go out the next week, and we're going to do it again. If, if, if it was suddenly she went, what am I doing pointing? I have to catch all these things. Then I might then take the next week off. What does a break do? Do we get her head back to where it was in the first place? Or is it not? So this is the hard part about training these pointing retrievers. That's why there's not, well, there's a lot of trainers out there and some of them are good. <laughs> and the reason that it's not all over the place is because this is a little bit of a juggling act. Not, not really, but a little bit. Because what you need to do to do this successfully, we've got our, our control retriever stuff, the marks, We've got our upland. We've got our daily life. We've got to keep all of those things in a reasonable balance. So if we're getting all crazy in the upland field, then we need to emphasize the control stuff more and that less. If we're getting sullen and you don't care about the upland field, then we've got to do more of that. But as a tra trainer of these dogs, you need to take a reading on, we, first, you have to give them enough exposure that you get some consistent behavior so you can make a judgment. You can't go out and watch what they do on the Tweeties and call that an upland day. Can't do it. You have to have real birds out there and multiple contacts. And what does that, does it get better or does it get worse with them? That tells you something. Okay, you adjust to that. So then if, do I have too many contacts or do I not have enough contacts because I really can't tell? So that's how you judge how many birds you put out, given what you can afford or have available. And then, um, do we do a little bit more of it? Do we little, do a little bit less of it? Another good point that was brought up in one uh, contact I had with somebody was when you do bird introduction, you know, do you go back to the same place the second time and the third time and all that kind of, it was a good question. The guy already knew the answer. But when you're trying to build confidence, then when you go back to the same place, don't put birds in the same place, but go to the same location and do more bird work because they know when they get there. Really, the second time they're going, oh, oh, wow, remember what happened here last time? And they get really excited because they have a good idea. And if you go there a third time, then, you know, then they're really excited because they know. So when you need to build up the confidence and the interest, going to the training in the same place is an advantage to you. It doesn't remain an advantage because you're just teaching them. There's only birds are one place, one place. And obviously for a competitive or a hunting dog, that isn't going to work. So once they get the game and you understand, then you've got to go someplace else and teach them, Hey, whenever we drive up and sit down and I come up, tap you and say, hunt them up. There's, you know, let's go look for them. And in the beginning, there have to be birds out there. You can't just teach a little guy, you know, to go hunt where there's nothing. That doesn't make sense to a dog that doesn't know stuff. For a see your season hunting dog, they get that. For, but you got to make sure there's birds there. And then you teach them, hey, 
Now, whenever I, we go somewhere and you're geared up and I got my vest on, we're bird hunting. So there's a lot of common sense to that. But be aware that you're, they're learning. They're, you're teaching them stuff all the time. But when we tune out and we're all caught up in other stuff, we don't notice what we're teaching them. And a lot of times that can come back uh, to haunt us. Again, if you always plant birds the same way, in the same places, then your dogs become ingrained to that pattern. So if you live somewhere where there's only clumps of stuff to plant birds in, then your, bird, your dogs will learn to be clump hunters. And so a lot of times I like to have other people plant birds for me so they're not where I just put them. So my dogs, you know, have to learn to just look for birds and not with some kind of patterned thing. So with young dogs, you know, got to make them findable. Let, let me just say this about bird planting too. The G type of dogs. Be thoughtful, you guys, with youngsters, if you can, or have someone who's very thoughtful on the bird planting. Because when dogs are just learning this stuff, if you put a bird in the middle of very deep cover, the scent doesn't, isn't going to carry. So they're going to have to be on top of it to find it. And unless that's what you want, the dog on top of it to find it, um, be careful about that. So when they're young and inexperienced, look at the cover, look at the wind, look at how the scent is going to carry. Understand if you put a bird, even on, on shallow, just, just eight inches into some very thick cover and you stick it down in the bottom of that, it's still going to be, the wind is, and let's say the wind is blowing towards where the dog's going to be on the edge of the cover. So that wind has to carry through all that heavy cover deep and then hit that bird and then carry it eight more inches out. Probably not even going to happen. The, there's probably not going to be any wind carried way down at the bottom of that stuff. So even if you just put it eight inches in thick stuff and it's got to blow through five feet of it or more, you probably aren't going to get it. So just be aware. The best way to learn that stuff is by doing it and testing it out. But then your dog has, remember somebody asked how, you know, how do you get your dog not to point birds close? When you plant like that, the dog can only find them when they're close. So you teach that kind of thing. So do the best you can to figure this out. All of us are challenged by it all the time. Plant it, plant it where it's going to be, you know, on a corner. So maybe there's a corner wind. So there's just a few inches of cover that it has to get through, but there's wind coming on the other side of it. Just a lot to think about on that. But make sure that when they do get downwind of it in a reasonable spot, they can locate that bird because that's what their job to do is regard pointer, flush, or whatever. So that's going to be today's just a kind of a hodgepodge of, of puppy stuff and behavior and upland stuff. Where G is right now is, is just such a jello phase. So, you know, she's figured out stuff, great retriever right now. Um, obviously was pointed phenomenally well, very happy with that. So I'm not like, whoo, this is great. Everything's great. Cause I know that this could change. Things can get really different. So maybe my last lesson to leave with everybody. And this one's such a serious one. Do, and I'm going to use G as an example. G has a superstar mom, superstar dad, uh, looks fantastic, doing everything really well. Okay. This, she could still turn out to be just a very ordinary dog. I, odds are no, 
But if I go in there with this, like, all right, gee, you got to look really good. People are watching you. You got to make good on your dad and your mom and you got to do all this stuff. That I will never do that. I wouldn't do it to a kid and I'm not doing it to this dog. I'm going to be very honest about what she is and what she's doing. I'm not going to sit there in judgment. I'm not going to go, oh, this is going to, this is going to be anything. With that little dog, and I'm doing it in front of the world here, I'm going to just take what I get, and I'm going to respond to what I get. And when it's good, like it was on the pointing, <clears throat> I'm happy. I'm not extrapolating to the future at all. I'm going to be happy with that, and we're going to go do it again, and I'm going to deal with that. That way, there is no pressure on either one of us to deliver any expectations to anybody, because that's not the joy of dog training. It's not the joy of dog training. When, when you connect with this little animal and you guys figure some stuff out together with you in Colonel role, of course, and, and they figure out where their place in is in life is. And to the best of their talents and abilities, they're giving you everything they got and they're loving it and they're doing their part of the world. That's what this is all about. However, that is the, the, the real goal is to get everything out of what makes this dog glad it's alive and realize its full potential because they love that. And if we can do that, that's a win. And it doesn't matter about my expectations, what ought to happen. You, ever, you guys are all listening and watching. None of that matters. It's just when she and I are out there alone, like that day she did that point, that's the happiest time. I was so great. Just like when she does all those retrieves in the heavy snow and brings it straight back and hands it to me. That's what the whole reward on this thing is. And it doesn't really matter about anything else. So go with that with all your dogs. Just take every day, respond to it, enjoy the process. Because in the end, that's all we got with this stuff. And uh, I hope it's uh, happy and successful because man, this is one of the most fun things in the world to do. So again, everybody, please stay healthy, stay safe. And we, G and I will be back soon.